Welcome to the Workplace Happiness Podcast, brought to you by me, Mark Price, and my platform, Engaging Works, designed to help you be happier at work. Having been the boss of Waitrose for many years and working within the John Lewis Partnership, I became interested in the way that we work, how being happy at work can not only transform an individual's life, but how it can also transform an organisation. So my mission is to get the world a little bit happier at work. In doing so, I've created a happiness survey, which measures and then compares to others how happy you are at work. It's free to take, and you can find out about it at engaging.works. In the Workplace Happiness podcast, I'll be speaking to people from all walks of life about how they work and their happiness at work. From people who've had career changes to entrepreneurs who forge their own career paths. It's all about happiness and how we recognise this happiness at work and all get a little bit happier. This morning uh, I'm talking to Millie Gooch, uh, a journalist, uh, but also somebody who set up a business a movement, I think it could be called, uh, called the Sober Girls Society, uh, which has now been going for a little while and has got a huge following. And so what I'd like to do is talk to Millie about uh, her life, uh, how she got into the world of journalism, and then how about how did this society come about uh, and how's it uh, going forward. So um, Millie, good morning, welcome. Welcome to The Goring, where we're doing this interview. When you were at school, what did you think you were going to do? Originally, I thought I was going to be a teacher. That was what I wanted to do. And then I quickly realised that I'm actually not very good with children. Uh, so <laughs> Which I is a bit to, of a drawback. Yeah, yeah. So I had to think about that one. I always wanted to do something creative and I knew I wanted to do writing. I used to love sort of like writing poems and writing short stories. Um, but I wasn't really sure how I was going to channel that. So to be perfectly honest, when I went to uni, I still had no idea what I was going to do. So I decided to go with English because I thought that would be a bit creative and it's also kind of vague and applicable to a lot of jobs. So I decided that I was going to do English literature and language and then work it out from there. And so uh, you studied English. Did you enjoy that? I loved it, actually. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I preferred the literature. I loved reading. Um, but I also found the language side of it really interesting as well. Like, oh, I thought it was just going to be sort of spelling and grammar, but actually there was a lot of like etymology of where words came from. So it was actually a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And then when you got towards the end of your time at university, how did you think about getting a job? Did you think automatically... I'm going to be a journalist or did you think about other options around writing? I thought I was going to be a journalist when I came out I was like that's what I'm going to do and I thought everyone would really like be jumping to have me that was my initial thing even though I had no relevant work experience whatsoever and when I started applying for journalism jobs I realised that was absolutely not the case because I didn't get a single reply and I spoke to one of my friends who was working in fashion at the time. She was working for Harrods. And she said, why don't you have a look into PR? Because it's kind of the flip side of journalism. And then you might be able to make some connections that way and speak to people. And then hopefully you might be able to make the jump across to journalism. So I started applying for PR jobs. And again, got absolutely nothing. I thought everyone would be like, yeah, we definitely want to try it for us. But no, there's a million other people out there that were like me that had just got degrees and thought that their degree meant everything. Um, so I then started applying for work experience 
Um, and I didn't have that much money to do work experience because I was living in Kent and what they were paying expense-wise when I was interning, I know there's a lot more rules around it now, but wasn't enough to even cover my travel. Um, so my granddad had actually passed away and had left me literally £500 and I used that £500 for my travel to intern. So I started doing a few internships. I was at one place for about three months and a couple of other sort of work, work experience placements. And, um, and what kind of places were they? So they were mainly fashion PR. So I used to be made to work at Fashion Week on a weekend for no money whatsoever and just, you know, stand at fashion shows, check people in. At one point, I actually, you know, sat in people's seats at fashion shows because when you go to a show, if there's, like, someone really important that they want at the front, they wait for them to turn up, but they don't want anyone to sit in that seat, so you're like a seat filler, so you just sit down. So Is just, that a proper job? Yeah, apparently. <laughs> yeah, well, they get interns and don't pay them any money to just come and sit in seats. So that's essentially what I was doing, but it was all good work experience. Um, and then I started applying for actual positions at PR companies because all this time I was still applying for journalism places and just getting rejection after rejection. And the one thing that I'd wish I'd known was I should have done a lot more work experience earlier. But it wasn't really, really pushed at my school that much. I remember for work experience I just went and worked in the wedding dress shop that I already had a Saturday job at. So that's one thing that I really wish I'd known to get into that industry specifically is that a lot of it is down to work experience. So I started applying for jobs in PR and then I got one uh, working for a PR company that had a lot of different clients, some events, some fashion. I worked for places like the National Wedding Show, which was really fun, um, but very, very poorly paid. Um, and so I sort and of... was this in London? Home. This was in London. So you're still having to pay so to still having, Yeah, my first job, um, so it was probably about seven, eight years ago now, I was paid 14 grand a year, so it was like nothing. Um, and all my friends who ironically hadn't even gone to uni and had just done things like a year at college were now working for like they were legal secretaries and PAs at law firms earning like 40 grand a year and I was on 14 grand with my increasing debt um, so I stayed there for sort of like nine months jumped to another PR firm and then it was kind of the same situation there I got paid a little bit more didn't love it, it wasn't what I wanted to do at all and I think they kind of all knew that. I was good at my job and I did it but I didn't love it, I was never excited to be there. All the while I'm still applying for journalism jobs and I saw a job come up at Best Magazine for a uh, content writer for their website. So I applied for it and I had, I think it was three, nearly four interviews and then on the final interview, I got told that they had given it to the girl that was interning there, which I was really happy for her because I was like, oh, an intern's done really well, but I also really wanted that job. Um, so I carried on at the, at the PR firm, and then their lifestyle editor actually came in to pull some uh, clothes for a fashion trip that she was doing. And she sort of said, oh, I well, hear you went for the, the web assistant job. Um, do you actually want to come and interview because I'm looking for a lifestyle assistant? So I bit her hand off, said, yeah, I'll, I'll come. Uh, came and had a chat and then she said, well, you've already met everyone else because you've had about four interviews and, and offered me the job. Uh, and then for five years, I worked at Best Magazine. And did you enjoy that? I loved it. It was the best job ever because I just got to do so many different things. And because it wasn't the best paid job, in the world because journalism really isn't you kind of get a lot of 
you know, like free trips and, and you get to go to all these amazing places. And at that point, it kind of made up for it. So I used to do a bit of travel writing. So I got to go to like Hong Kong and, and Thailand and I got to go to all these amazing fashion shows and I got to meet all these celebrities. And, and for me, that was like, yes, I, I'm here, I've made it. Um, but then sort of like five years later, I was like, oh, actually, I'm an adult now. I need to like, you know, all these freebies aren't actually going to pay my rent. I need to get like a, a the next move on. So what happened next? Oh, so I, in February 2018, decided to give up drinking. So this was actually something that kind of started when I was at uni. Um, I was a classic sort of like binge drinker. So I would go out on a Friday night. I'd be kind of hungover Saturday, Sunday. And I started getting this real hangover anxiety. And that really started affecting my mental health. And that also kind of started affecting me at work. I would go into work and, you know, I'd spend most of the weekend in bed, like really stressing about what I'd said and what I'd done to people. And and I kind of, yeah, it, it, it started to really affect me. So I decided that I was going to give uh, alcohol up. And it was great and I loved it. And for the first sort of like six or seven months, I kind of, they call it like white knuckling, did it all on my own and didn't sort of seek any help. I'd read one book and that was kind of it. And then I kind of realised that no one was really talking about, you know, being young and sober and, and not drinking in a world. And because I was still working in journalism, everything I went to, there was booze. So I'd go to fashion shows, there'd be booze. I'd go to parties, there'd be booze. And I kind of realised that no one was talking about it. So I, I looked around on Instagram and I found some really good communities. I found some that were kind of like US-based, um, that were sort of quite centred around AA. And then I found sort of like mummy wine culture um, groups that were kind of talking about, you know, drinking at play dates and all that stuff. But I couldn't find anything for sort of like young millennial Brit party girls who still wanted to go out, still wanted to be sociable, had busy jobs like I did, um, but just wanted to take drinking out of the equation. So I decided I was going to start talking about it. So I started the Instagram page. Uh, just and what kind of, date was that? So that was September 2018. Uh, just started this Instagram page, literally funny quotes, um, like little poems. So I was, I was writing again, and I loved it because for the first time, like... It's, it's great working for a magazine, but when you do your work, you give it to someone, they edit it, then it goes to a sub-editor, they like edit it again, then it goes to a, a full editor, and then it edit it. And by the time you get it back, you're like, oh, is this even the piece that I wrote? Like, whereas with this, I had full control from start to finish. And I started writing sort of like longer captions about my journey, and people really started identifying with kind of my story. Um, and then from then, it has just escalated into something sort of well beyond my control to be honest and so how much time are you now spending on the sober girl society gradually as so so in february 2018 i decided to leave my job and go freelance so that was a, a really sort of scary decision but one that is sort of working um so now it, it depends really i have kind of regular freelance gigs um like still working on magazines but Sober Girl is gradually sort of taking over that place. So I'm spending more and more time on it. I dedicate two whole days to it always. But sometimes it's mornings and evenings and weekends. And as the weeks go on, it, it's sort of more and more work, the more crazy ideas I come up with for it. And so let's go back to the beginning of you thinking about doing it. You You said that obviously all the events you went to in the fashion world, there was booze readily available and you said on a friday night you'd go out and you'd have a a heavy night yeah. 
So put that into context. What would be a heavy Friday night for you? What would you go and do with your friends? Uh, what would you drink? Where would you go? We would go out probably locally because if I went out or if I went out in London, this was the problem that I was finding. I was drinking a lot and then I was not remembering how I'd got home and I was getting home from London to Kent waking up in the morning and being like, how did I get home? And more often than not, if I didn't know how I got home, I would have missed my last train and I had to end up getting like 150 pound taxis back to where I live because I was like, no, I'll stay for another one and then just forgot the time. Um, but yeah, drinking quite a lot. I've always been more of a binge drinker than I have like a casual drinker. So it would start with a few gin and tonics and then it would escalate into the Jaeger bombs and the shots. And then I'd be drinking a drink that I didn't even like just because it was a drink and someone had given it to me and it was probably free. So. And then talk about the anxiety you felt at the weekend. So obviously you, you were feeling pretty awful and yeah. hungover. Yeah. But talk about the anxiety. So I would wake up in that initial, oh my God, like, what did I do? How did I get home? And then it would be the kind of scurry around for my bag. Have I got my phone? Have I got my keys? Have I got my purse? And then I'd start getting the receipts out, like, oh my God, how much did I spend? And I was still working in journalism and couldn't afford to be buying everyone in the bar Jaeger bombs. And then it would kind of be, all right, now I need to text my friends to see if I said anything to anyone. Like, are they angry at me? Like, did I make a fool of myself? Did I get up on the table and dance? And that would just be, like, constant all day. And that started, like, creeping into sort of, like, my everyday life. And I kind of noticed that then I would be using drink as, like, a sort of stress reliever. So if I'd had a, a rubbish week, my first instinct was, oh, I just need a drink. Or if I'd had an argument with someone or anything like that, I was using drink and there's kind of a theory that drinking is replacing an uncomfortable emotion or situation with a more comfortable one and you don't really learn how to get through those emotions so when they come up again you're not really equipped to deal with them so if I'd had a rubbish week and then I had a drink I'd be like okay I feel better now but really I've not really dealt with why that week was rubbish how it could be better improved and sort of sitting with those feelings and writing them out so then the next time it comes up and it's like oh it's been a really rubbish week. Oh, I know what made me feel better last time is a drink. And I think there's kind of like a, a, a spectrum of, they call it like the elevator with drinking problems. And I have just got off early. I think had I stayed on, I think I would have become slowly more reliant on drinking for everyday things and then possibly bigger things. And I think it could have been a more dangerous path than what I was on. And in terms of... Um the decision to stop, yeah. was there something that all of a sudden made you think, I've got to stop this? How did you come to that conclusion that that was it? And you went on, as you described it, a seven-month white knuckle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, so I woke up hungover, um, and it actually wasn't the worst hangover. It was a, a pretty bad one. But I think because it wasn't the worst one, I kind of had the clarity to be like, oh, I can't keep doing this, and I'm really tired of waking up feeling like rubbish, spending my weekends like in bed. And I'd always had a dream of doing something bigger outside of my job. And I had all these plans and I wanted to write a book and all this stuff. And I wasn't doing any of it. And I was 26 at the time. And I was thinking, I'm coming now downwards to my 30s. And I've not achieved anything that I thought I would by the time I was 30. And I thought my weekends are my spare time because I can't just give up my job because I've got nothing to fall back on. My weekends are my spare time and I'm wasting it, just completely anxiety-ridden, in bed, not productive, and then feeling tired and rubbish for the rest of the week. And I just felt like 
something had to change and I have still have no idea really why it was that day but I was so hungover I thought I can't read so I downloaded a book called The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober by Catherine Gray um, and it's a great book and I read that and it really focused on like the positives of sobriety rather than this is how you give up alcohol because I knew how to give up and I knew that I just needed to not go out and binge drink. So it wasn't like I needed a manual to say, okay, this is how you give up drinking. I needed something to be like, look, if you give up drinking, this is everything that you're going to gain. So I listened to that, and I always say that's one of the sort of things that I think was the catalyst for, for me not drinking. Like, I don't think I said from the start, oh, I'm never drinking again. I think I just said, right, I'm going to really give this a good go and see how it goes. And, yeah, it just carried on from there. So what came next? Uh saying to your uh, employers I'm going to leave I want to go freelance or setting up Instagram or just talk us through those moments weeks after you did that because it's a huge thing to give mm-hmm. up a job you'd had for five years yeah. uh, and all, and just go and do something completely yeah. different I so I decided to just sort of like set up the Instagram festival because I thought oh my god people might look at this and not identify with it I might have two followers and one of them's probably my mum and they will stay like that forever And gradually people started identifying with it and I started to get asked to do things. So uh, the first thing I was asked to do was, because I set it up in September, the first big thing I was asked to do in January, I was approached to be a panellist on the Mindful Drinking Festival panel, which is a festival run by a brand called Club Soda. So it's kind of like the Coachella of sobriety. (laughs) So they have like non-alcoholic drinks distributors. So I was asked to speak on that, a panel for being young and sober. So I went on that and I kind of said to my boss at work, I've been asked to do this, I've set up this page because I thought, oh God, if she sees it, she might pull me up on it because it wasn't really... I kind of had a look through my contract but there wasn't anything written into it about kind of social media and and it was you weren't like allowed to write for the publications but didn't say you couldn't do anything of your own so I wasn't really sure where I stood so I was kind of really honest about it and I said I've been asked to do this panel um, so I did the panel and when I was on the panel I was like this is what I want to do I want to talk to people about not drinking I want to talk to people about being young and sober I want to make a difference and this is where I had my like epiphany and I'd also started to be approached by a few brands that wanted to work with me on like sponsored content. And I really didn't know where I kind of stood with that and taking money from brands that could like potentially advertise in some of the magazines I was working for. So I thought, you know what, the best thing to do is just to run with this and make a go of it. So I sort of said to my boss, oh, is it right if I have a word? And then before before I'd even like said it, it just come out my mouth that like, oh, I was handing in my notice. And I was like, oh God, is it too late to take it back? Like, and I remember just walking back to my desk and being like, what have I done? Um, but I kind of, it all worked out really well actually because another magazine had uh, one of their members of staff who was freelancing and just said that they weren't doing that job anymore. So they offered me some regular freelance work that was going to be able to keep me going for a little bit. Um, so I, I wasn't going to be completely high and dry, but I, I potentially could have been, so it was a bit of a risk. Um, and yeah, just handing my notice, worked a month, carried on with the Instagram and, and then left in February. And what's been the biggest difference, do you think, in the way that you work and think about work, Millie, between being at best and then now having this life building the Sober Girl Society and freelancing on the side? I think, um, so I've got a lot more flexibility, um, which is the main thing. I work from various different places. Um, but I do actually have a lot more trust in my own workings. I, 
I have to remind myself that this is something that I have built and no one else has helped me with it. And I always used to second guess myself at work and, and you're always waiting for someone else to, to sort of put a value on your work and say that it's good and you're always waiting for that approval. But when you work for yourself and you're doing something like this, the approval is kind of yourself. I mean, I know you get the approval in like likes of, oh, I really like this comment, but you're the one who looks at it, goes, yeah, okay, this is going to work, and then you put it through. So I've actually got now, I think, a lot more trust in my own sort of skills. I was used to write things, and it come back edited to me, and I think, oh, God, I'm an awful writer. But and now I write stuff, and people will be like, oh, my God, this is, like, I really identified with it. Thank you so much. And so I, I kind of have more faith in myself, I think. Looking back over that period, what advice would you give to people who are at work but think they've got something they'd much rather do uh, and have a side hustle that they want to make their main life? What advice would you give them? I would say start it. And oh, there's a nice saying, which is paralysis over analysis, which is you, that you can give yourself a million reasons why this idea isn't going to work, but you literally will not know until you try it. So get yourself into a position with it, I think, where, I mean, you're never going to be able to go, right, this is going to fully support me for the rest of my life. But if you think, like, if you even get one person approach you that wants to work with you, then at least you know it's sort of like a viable thing. And then you can leave your job once you know that you th that you've got a good idea there. I think you need at least a few people to kind of say, yeah, we want to actually, like, partner with you or collaborate with you or... I think that would be my thing, like make sure you're in an okay position. Don't just come up with your idea on day one and then hand your notice in. I think start building some of those things behind the scenes because there's so many things that go into making a brand before you can even launch it. So start with those things, use that time while you're in a stable position to get all that stuff done and then make the leap. And before we take the, the workplace happiness survey where I'll be intrigued to see how you score... <laughs> um, what advice would you give to young people, uh, women or men, listening to this, who feel that they should be thinking about how they're drinking, uh, the amount they're drinking? Um, how, how might you help them? Um, I always say that um, at least if, you, if you're questioning your habits, then you know that there might be something wrong. And the main advice I give, even if you don't want to stop drinking, is to drink for like the right reasons and in the right situations. So don't drink because you're stressed, because you're angry, because you're jealous, because you're upset, because they're all emotions that you need to work through. And if you don't work through them, then you can't deal with them in future. So drink for the right reasons. Um, I also say that if you're going to like do like a sober October or a dry January, try and push yourself to 90 days because it kind of takes that long to see the really good differences and to form a habit. Like 30 days is great, but I don't think you actually changed that much in those 30 days. Um, and just speak to people as well. Like I have, no, I always thought that, that alcohol was the thing that I connected with people on. That's how I thought I bonded. That's how I thought I made friends. But actually speaking about why I've given it up has bonded me to more people because I reckon about bar two or three people, everyone has identified with something in my story, whether that's waking up and being like, oh God, I spent too much money, or everyone does have a tiny problem with alcohol at some point. Like they, they will have things that they will say that they don't like about alcohol, the way it makes them feel, the way it makes them spend money. So just talk to people as well and, and yeah, check out Sobergirl Society with some help. <laughs> Thank you.
Right, we're now going to do the workplace happiness survey. So this survey is taken by people all over the world. Okay. And it will take, it would ordinarily take us seven minutes to do, but as we go through, right. we'll, we'll talk about your answers. So, the first question. Uh, do you feel appropriately rewarded for your work? Um, maybe like a seven. So in terms of um, that score, yeah. was there a point in your career when you felt either higher or lower than a seven for feeling rewarded? Definitely lower, I think. I think I used to work a lot, especially when I was an intern or when I was doing work experience. You are not properly rewarded for all the things that you have to do and all the hours that you have to do. So, yeah, definitely I felt less rewarded. So you're improving? Yeah. Okay. For sure. Yeah. Are you happy with your working hours? Um, I am because I'm the one who sets them, but I also should be more vigilant at setting set hours for myself so so how many hours do you work millie a week i mean like 24 7 when you've got a social media business you don't really clock off for the first time i'm going to bali on sunday and i'm having two weeks complete social media break because otherwise it is when the only time i'm not working really is when i'm sleeping because i wake up and i scroll through my notifications have a look at my emails and then the last thing I do before bed is, is check my notifications. So is that sustainable? Probably not, no. But most people do it with their own personal Instagram. And having Save Girls Society means I don't even have time to think about my personal Instagram. So I'm never one of these people who takes pictures, puts them up. Like, I went on holiday the other week and my friends were like, oh, we didn't know you'd left. And I said, yeah, I don't post anymore. So most people kind of are doing it anyway. I'm not like sitting at a laptop 24-7, but I will technically be checking my phone. But other people will be checking Instagram too. But our mind's just for work. But no, you're right, it's not sustainable. <laughs> so what are you going to um, give yourself? Are you happy with your working hours? Probably a seven. But would you be happy if you did those hours working for Best Magazine? Oh, absolutely not, no. Uh, <laughs> so working for yourself effectively means you're happier to put more in. Yeah, because I I love doing it. It doesn't feel like work. So, yeah, I when I wake up and I check my notifications, I see that people are like, great content, I really like this. And I'm like, oh, that's so nice. So I don't, I'm not like, oh, God. So, yeah, I do it to myself, really, but okay. I love it. Next question. Uh, yeah, I, do I feel recognised when you do something well? I think so. I think with social media, you kind of get, you know instantly if it's gone down well and, and people like it. Or, you know, if I do a panel talk, people will come over and say, it was really great, thank you. So I think I, think I am recognised when I do something well. And how about in your job before? Not necessarily. You don't always get feedback. I used to get, like, my boss at um, Bess was, was great, so lovely. And we're still really good friends now, actually. But... I think you don't always get recognised for every single aspect that you do. Um, probably a, about the same. I, I think when you're getting it now, it's from multiple people, whereas you're always seeking it from just that one person when you're at work, or maybe like one or two people, like your line managers. But now I'm recognised by so many people for, for doing a, a nice job. I like to think. Okay. So uh, what are you going to give yourself? Do you um, feel recognised? Yeah, I do, well? actually. I'll give myself a nine. Do you have enough information to do your job well? Yes, I read a lot of books and a lot of podcasts and listen to a lot of stuff about sobriety. I make sure that I'm really well informed, so if anyone asks me a question, I 
can give them an answer. So, yeah, I would say so. And you've now become an expert. Yeah, I have. Well, I'd like to think so. <laughs> Do you feel information is openly shared with you at work? Uh, yes, because I share it with myself and I probably overshare with other people. <laughs> And do your, um, uh, do your followers share with you? They do. I get really, really nice messages, which is always lovely. And there's like a real openness about people when they sort of talk about their experiences with alcohol. We're kind of like, oh, God, did you do that? And everyone's like, yeah, does that happen to you? Like, it's, it's really lovely. So even if we do, like, the meetups and the events, they're normally, like, 20 to 30 girls. There is, like, a real openness and sharing aspect there. I think people just want to talk and connect and that's one of the biggest things. Are you empowered to make decisions? Yes, because I empower myself. Do you feel trusted to make decisions? Yes, I trust myself wholeheartedly. And again, just reflecting back to just 18 months ago? Yeah, not always. Sometimes and in some aspects. And the longer I was there, the more I was trusted. But yeah, not necessarily at the start. So now you feel that sense of accountability and responsibility in a very different way. Yes, yeah. And is that scary? It is a little bit, especially when you're putting content out there to thousands of people because you do have to be aware that you might get some sort of backlash and I'm very careful with what I post and how I word things and like not to trivialise anything because for some people giving up drinking is like a, a life or death thing. So I really sort of talk about it carefully and and it is a lot of responsibility but I'd like to think that I'm quite good with the responsibility. Do you have the resources you need to do your job well? Yes I do, I bought myself a laptop and a phone so yes. <laughs> and in terms <laughs> of, so if we just think uh, on that about the answer that you gave about hours yeah, and you said that the amount of time you're putting in now is not sustainable. Yeah. And let's think about the fact that what you're doing is growing at a rate of knots. In a year from now, yeah. how are you going to manage what you're doing, the number of followers you have? I mean, will you have the time, the resource to be able to keep that going? Or are you going to have to find a way of bringing more people in, delegating more? I think delegating more will be a big thing. I think because it's my baby and it's something I've started, I do find it really difficult to delegate. But it is something that 2020 is going to be more of like expanding the team, delegating. Okay. Okay. Are you happy with your working environment? Um, yes and no. I'm constantly on the go. I would like to have an office. That would be really good, but it's a financial implication that I'm just not ready for. Um, but I don't mind it. Sometimes I quite like moving about. I get to come to places like the Goring and get to wander around London. So, But sometimes I'm like hauled up in a cafe with like 20 other people with their laptops and rubbish Wi-Fi and whatnot. So yeah, I'd, I'd say about a six or a seven. Uh, do you feel your views are heard at work? Yes, I listen to my views. <laughs> do you feel you have a good relationship with your line manager? Yes, she's lovely. <laughs> do you feel you are being developed? Yeah, I do. And I, you would think not working for yourself, like you would think working for yourself, you don't necessarily get pushed as much maybe, but I think having a community forces you to sort of learn and develop. And Because I'm constantly being asked questions that I don't know the answers to. 
I have to go out and I have to research and I have to learn and I have to better myself. So you've, you've still got sort of other people who are holding you accountable and pushing you forward just because you're working for yourself. But then it might be different if you didn't necessarily have that community. Yeah, and is there it. one book that you've read that for you is standout? You would say people should read this book, whether it's on sobriety or whether it's on self-help? or Definitely for sobriety, The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober is a great book, as is um, This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. Um, oh God, there's so many different ones for uh, sort of general self-help. I love uh, Eckhart Tolle who um, is like a real spiritual guru, he does a lot of podcasts with Oprah, I went to see him recently, and just some of the things that he talks about, just a lot of them even go over my head because he, he's just like this great human being who has all this insight on life and, and it's just mind-blowing to like listen to him. Um, but yeah, I would say uh, The Power of Now, which is a book that he wrote, is a really great book. And in, in, in a business sense, obviously mm. you set up a business. Yeah. So have, uh, do you read business books? I, I should, I should, um, but I haven't thus far because the most important to me, I've never really been motivated by money. As long as I've got enough money to be comfortable, I've always known that my happiness lies in like creativity and doing good things. So I've never tried to look at it as a business. I only need enough money to sustain it and like grow certain projects and work on initiatives that I want to do but I always try and see it for helping people and what I want to do with it and then it just seems to come from that I sort of in a way I'm winging it um, but I don't try and think okay what am I going to do now to make this much money it's kind of like okay I really want to do this event and then we can charge this and then we can put it back into the pot to do this so and yet when you were in employment yeah one of your great discontents yeah was not being yeah, paid enough money. Yeah, which is interesting. But I think because with this, like, I know that there is an opportunity to grow it, whereas with that, you're always waiting for someone else to sort of put a value on you and put a number on you. And you feel frustrated when you're there for a particular amount of time and that value isn't going up. Whereas with this, I always know that if I want to make it bigger, I can. But when you're at a job, you're always waiting for someone else to put that number on you so I do yeah 10 for being developed do you feel happy at work yes I do probably about a nine is there anything at work that doesn't make you feel happy just sometimes if I get a bit overwhelmed if I take on too much and I say yes to too many things that I need to be better at saying no or moving things around. That's the only time. Is sometimes I get a bit overwhelmed with it all and like you'll have notifications from your phone, you'll have emails from brands and then I'll still have freelance jobs coming in and it's kind of juggling that stuff. That's that's the only time. But then I take a step back and I think, no, I'm like so lucky to be doing this. So yeah, like that would be the, the one mark off is that sometimes I've just got too much on and it just doesn't feel like... And I'm always like, oh, it's laid down next week and then I get another job in and I'm like, oh. So, yeah, that's the only thing. What three changes would you improve to your workplace happiness? Okay, so delegation. So I need to be better at delegating. Time management. So I need to give myself more time off to just do things that I want to do and not be constantly working. Um, and probably just learning to say no to certain opportunities.
Okay, so now we ask you a, a series of filter questions yeah. so that we can compare your happiness. Okay. And that is the test in about 30 seconds, Millie. Wow. Your score will come up. Oh, God. And it will compare you to other people in the world who have ticked those boxes okay. you ticked. Right. And it will compare you to your industry. Okay. So we've had tens of thousands of people in 120 oh. countries do the Workplace Impressive. Happiness Survey. So do you want to read out your score, Millie? Uh, my score is 922 out of 1,000. Yeah, 92%. That is wow. ridiculously high. And the global average is... 655. So 65.5%. And people who are in the industry that we put down for you, which was telecoms and publishing... 631, which I'm not surprised about. <laughs> But you, you are uh, off the Richter oh, in terms exciting. of how happy you feel about what oh, you're doing. <laughs> but can you, can you identify with that? Can you identify with the fact that people in that industry are at 631, which is under the global average, and yeah. yet you're so much above it now? Yeah, I think because that's going to be people who are still sort of working in sort of like magazines and obviously the publishing industry is just changing rapidly. Magazines are closing left, right and centre, everything's going digital, they can't afford to pay people as much or get our content from social media. Um, so I, I totally see where that is. And I think mine has just come from diversifying alongside journalism. So... There's like a, you've probably heard of it, called the like multi-hyphen method, which is that now we're kind of not just getting our revenue from one stream, we're doing loads of different things. So, like, I, I find it really hard to categorise myself in, in what I am and what I'm doing. And I think that has been something that's improved my sort of happiness immensely, is doing still, like, a bit of journalism, but doing a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of that and, and creating something that encompasses all of those things. Otherwise known as a side hustle. Exactly. And when we look at your score, which is uh, remarkably high, uh, we can then look at the six things that um, really affect people's happiness in the workplace. Uh, reward recognition, information sharing, or the information they have to do their job, whether they feel empowered, uh, their sense of well-being, um, whether they feel proud of where they work and their job satisfaction. The four of those six areas you have scored... 100% uh, in one, well-being, you're at 85 because yeah. you know that you need to talk to yourself yeah. about the amount that you're doing. Yeah. Uh, and then on reward and recognition, you're 77. And that sort of reflected the conversation you had about early stage business yes. and where you're going to, to go to. Um, and then on all the matrices, you've scored high. So on uh, the well-being matrices, uh, you're uh, off the chart, which is wonderful. And then on the um, job satisfaction, uh, you're off the chart. This is the stickiness index. And on this, what people can see is whether uh, they're likely to stay in a job, right. if they're in the top right quadrant, or whether they're likely to leave the job. Okay. And then we check whether they're anarchists or apostles for what they do. Right. <laughs> uh, and you're very much an apostle. Nice. And then after that, we check on uh, career development, and you feel that you're being uh, developed. We then check on uh, inclusiveness, whether you feel included and involved mm -hmm. in what you do. And again, you're off the chart. Empowerment, whether you feel empowered to do things in yeah. your job, you're off the chart. <laughs> There's a, and a sense of purpose, whether you do something worthwhile. Yeah. And again, uh, you can see where the industry and global are, but again, you're off the chart. And lastly, the relationship you have 
with your line manager yeah. and here now <laughs> you are your line manager and not surprisingly you score very highly so you've, you've had a fantastic set of results the only one that's low at all or lower is your workplace environment and you can see there you score below uh, the industry so people yeah. who are currently working in uh, publishing and telecoms feel that their working environment is better than yours and yeah. that's very much your comments about feeling like a nomad at the yeah. moment. Going, going <laughs> I'm around. nowhere that I belong. <laughs> no, I know. So if there's anything out of this, it points to you thinking about it. Um, one, your environment, having a yeah. place to work from, having a base that you can call your own. And the other thing it's um, uh, really calling out is is about how you're going to manage your hours and how you look after yourself and yeah. the demands that you're placing on yourself, building a business, and then the financial reward that comes from that. But Millie, they're, they're, they're remarkably high scores, and it's great to see you smiling all the way through that <laughs> and, and enjoying the test. Um, I've got two last questions for you, if I yeah. can. Uh, the first is, what piece of music makes you happiest when you hear it? Uh, Loco in Acapulco. <laughs> it's, I don't know why, whenever I just... That or Club Tropicana, but I feel like I can't listen to Club Tropicana as much because it talks about the drinks being free, and I'm like, no, free drinks, that's dangerous. <laughs> but so Loco... It could be free non-alcoholic Yeah, exactly. Drinks. Sometimes I like to change it to Club Tropicana drinks that are alcohol-free, um, just for my own amusement. But yeah, Loco in Acapulco. Or the Four Tops. Yeah. Brilliant. And if you were to uh, listen to one other person take the workplace happiness survey, who would it be? I'd like to, I'd actually like to see my dad take it to be honest because he is very like you said more traditional where like he's been in his company for like 30 years and like so much has changed over that time. So I'd actually like to see him take it. Well, I hope he can do the test, and I very much hope that I when he does it, it will uh, help him understand where he is happy and least happy and yeah. uh, provide some practical advice on, on what he might choose to do. But Millie Gooch, thank you very, very much for um, taking the time uh, to tell us about your remarkable journey, to tell us all about the Sober Girl Society, and we wish you every success. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. And again, if you want to take control of your workplace happiness, go to engaging.works and take the free happiness survey. See you next time.